Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, it's Wes Kosova. We're taking a break today for the U.S. holiday. Here's one of our favorite episodes that you may have missed. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another new Big Take. You're walking through pools of water, little underground streams. It really is one of the most extreme environments that I've ever been in. From Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio, it's The Big Take. I'm Wes Kosova. Each weekday, we dig into one important story, and today, the worldwide hunt for copper. Soon there might not be enough of it to feed our insatiable demand. The sound clip you heard at the top of the show, that was Bloomberg reporter Matthew Hill. He traveled to a huge copper mine in Zambia, in Southern Africa, and he's here to tell the incredible story of what it takes to get copper out of the ground and into your computer or your car or the wiring in your house. I talked to Matt in just a bit, but first, let's talk about why copper matters so much. Because... I'll admit I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about the global copper supply, and I suspect you might not either. In fact, our producer, Michael Falero, went out onto the street in Washington, D.C. to measure people's copper IQ. He asked them a simple question. A smartphone, an air conditioner, an extension cord, and a car. What material do they all share? It's plastic. (laughs) Mercury. Motherboard. Wise. Oh, um. Metal. Aluminium. No. Copper. There's copper. (laughs) Yay! All right, it's not a trick question. Don't overthink it, right? I absolutely would have failed that quiz, so I feel a bit better that most of those folks did too. If we're looking toward a future of clean energy, clean electricity, copper is a critical ingredient, and we'll need more and more of it. So we asked a couple of people who do spend a lot of time worrying about the global copper supply to explain what a big deal it is. Yvonne Lee is a metals and mining reporter for Bloomberg based in New York. One thing is that if you're believing this uh, electrification story, then copper really has the, the feature for that because copper has the most conductivity of all metals. Basically, not only your EVs need copper, but power grids, energy storage, wind turbines, solar panels, they all need copper because copper simply is kind of the best metal for electrification. So how much copper does the world need? Well, think about this. The average car contains 65 pounds of copper. That's about 29 kilos. For an electric vehicle or EV, it can be a lot more. Here's James Atwood, a senior commodities reporter for Bloomberg based in Santiago, Chile, one of the world's biggest copper producers. In an electric vehicle, it can be double or as much as four times that amount because of the uh, rechargeable batteries and 
fact that it's electric car. Basically, anything with the word electric in it means there's going to be a lot of copper. And, you know, whatever prices of copper go up, then people look at things like aluminum and even plastic as alternatives or substitutes for copper, but there's no easy substitutes for copper. Globally, mines produce about 21 million metric tons of copper each year. And in a little more than a decade, the world's demand is expected to more than double. I sat down with Yvonne and James to hear more about what's at stake. Yes, I mean, copper right now is sitting on about $7,500 a tonne. It was more than $10,000 earlier this year. There are several analysts who are looking at more like 15000 in the not-too-distant future, so doubling of prices. So that obviously that has a, a bearing on broader inflation, the potential to be a constraint on, on economic growth, but it also has a potential to be a constraint on net-zero targets. How long does it take to make a new mine? Let's say today I have all the money in the world and I want to get a big, rich vein of copper and I know where it is and I have the permits. How long will it take? It takes about 8 to 10 years, give or take. You need to build a mine. That takes years. And uh, for a mine to be fully operating, that's a multi-year process. That's why we are saying people are worried that we don't have enough investment right now because down the line, the next five years or so, we will be needing all the copper. And that's why if we don't have investment now, then we will be running out of copper really soon. Do you envision a sort of a balance here where we need copper for renewable sources of energy and we need it for all kinds of other things that we're going to need in the future and yet it's dirty to produce? Is there a balance where the environmental costs of new mining and extensive extra mining from existing mines is outweighed by the benefit down the road? Or do we eventually come to a point where we're going to need something else besides copper? Yes, I think the kind of like uh, environmental and economic benefits outweigh the dirty part of copper mining because I feel like if we are really serious about decarbonization, we want to electrify the economy, there has to be some short-term compromise to make so that we can achieve long-term decarbonization. Yes, we usually associate mining with kind of like dirty, you see dust and blast explosion, things like that. But the benefit of uh, having all the metals in a circular economy is really beneficial to this clean energy future. So looking down the road, how concerned should people be that copper isn't going to be available, that products are going to rise in price as a result of it or be in short supply, and that the move toward non-carbon-based energy, cleaner energy, is going to stall out? If we cannot solve this looming copper shortage, I guess we'll just have to be stuck with fossil fuel for a relatively longer period of time. And I guess if you want to buy an EV, you'll have to pay a lot more than if we uh, solve the copper shortage problem. In the short term, prices are coming off a bit lower than they were. Demand outlook, near-term demand outlook, you know, looks bleak. Just as demand weakens or seems to be weakening, uh, supplies coming on, that's what's causing this short-term pullback. But all that changes, according to the analysts, about the middle part of this decade, and that's when the tightness really starts becoming uh, more visible and, and will start to bite. But when you talk to people kind of in the industry, are they worried about what's going to happen? Yeah, they were just saying kind of like uh, 
we don't have the investment we need for the foreseeable future. So that's going to be a huge problem. And I would say if Elon Musk is really serious about energy transition, he should invest in copper mining. Thank you so much to James Atwood, Yvonne Lee. Really appreciate you taking the time and educating us on this big problem. Thank you for having me. After the break, I talk with Bloomberg reporter Matthew Hill about what it's like to go deep underground in a Zambian copper mine. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. So we've been talking about how important copper is to an energy future without fossil fuels for clean energy. And one of the big problems is that there is going to be a shortage of copper in coming years. There is a whole lot of copper in one place, though, and that is in southern Africa, in Zambia, in the area around the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so you'd think, great, they have big mines there. We can get the copper, but not so fast. Matthew Hill is joining me now. He's a Bloomberg reporter based in Mbombela in eastern South Africa. And he has written a story called The Metals for Your EV are stuck in a 30-mile African traffic jam. Matt, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. So you went to this enormous mine in Zambia, which produces a whole lot of copper. How much copper is there in this region? The Central African Copper Belt that extends from Southern Democratic Republic of Congo into Northern Zambia, Northwestern Zambia, The area is bigger than the size of the country of Portugal, but over the past few decades, um, very little of that copper has been exploited. Right now, together, Zambia and the Congo 
only account for about 12% of global copper production, but there is the potential to produce much, much more than that. So there are many, many tons of copper under the ground, and if they can get at it, it could go a long way to alleviating a future copper shortage. Exactly. So um, you mentioned uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, which sits right on Zambia's border to the north. And between the two of them, there is an enormous amount of copper and a lot of travel between them to get that copper out. And that is the subject of your story. You went to a very large copper mine in Zambia and showed just how hard it is to get it out of the ground and get it then to where it needs to be. Can you describe the mine? What did you see there? What was it like? The mine that we went to is in a small town called Mufulira in northern Zambia. Operations there actually started in the 1930s, so it's one of Africa's oldest copper mines. It's also one of Africa's deepest copper mines. We went down a new shaft just recently built that extends 1,500 meters below the Earth's surface. All right, I got to ask you about this because I've never been down in a copper mine. And frankly, that sounds a little terrifying to me. What is it like to ride down one of those shafts to a mine that deep? Yeah, it's quite crazy. You get in what the mining folk call a cage. Um, which is just an industrial name for a giant elevator. It really goes quickly. We actually went right down to the bottom of the mine. Even though it's in the middle of the African continent, it's actually below sea level. That's how deep it is. It's quite an intense environment down there. I mean, the rocks, just because of the sheer pressure, you're going so deep below the Earth's surface, the temperature of the rocks is 40 degrees Celsius. Which, uh, for those Americans, is very hot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's well, well into the 90s. It's also one of the Earth's wettest copper mines. Because it's in Central Africa, there's a lot of rain during the wet season, and that permeates. I mean, it takes a long time, but that permeates down below the Earth's surface, and you've got these huge underground rivers flowing. At this particular mining shaft, they have to pump up the equivalent of 47 Olympic-sized swimming pools worth of water every day. And that's just to keep it from flooding the mine shafts? Exactly. So they've got these massive underground pump stations, which are just constantly pumping up to the surface this water that's flowing down. I mean, it's like waterfalls. <laughs> and you're walking through pools of water, little underground streams. It really is one of the most extreme environments that I've ever been in. And then how is the copper actually removed? What do the miners do? Are they blasting it? Are they using picks? Or, uh, it must be a fairly industrial activity. Very much so. They blast the ore out of the ore being the rocks that contain the copper. They blast it out 
In my hands, I've got some of the rocks that have been blasted out of the walls here. It's actually quite astounding how you can see the copper visibly showing up in the rocks. This is the richest copper that this mine has, and it's got just slightly more than two grams of copper per ton of rock. So to produce the copper, you've got to move a lot of rock. Then load it into dump trucks. Those trucks haul it to the the shaft which is the vertical tunnel that goes down to the bottom where it's loaded into cages and then hauled back up to the surface where it goes through a whole other process to produce a product that is 99.999 percent copper so pretty pure and that all happens on the site of the mine where it is uh, mined and refined to that very pure copper, which is then essentially a product. Exactly. It's all within the, the vicinity of the Mufulira mine. How much is that copper worth right now in the market? If you look at the current copper price, which is about $7,500 per ton, and I must point out that especially over the past year, the price has been extremely volatile. It reached a new record above $10,000 per ton earlier this year um, and has since fallen quite a bit. But just at the current copper price, you are looking at about $675 million. So you can see why it's worth all this effort you just described to get this out of the ground. Absolutely. Do we know who's buying it, where it ends up? The majority of that copper probably ends up in China, which accounts for about 50% of global copper demand. And that's because China produces so much of the world's electronics and solar panels and other things where copper is used. Exactly. So you can imagine, I mean, when you're talking about removing tons of earth, at the end, only the tiniest, tiniest portion of that is actually copper. Uh, and so you are hauling an enormous amount out of the ground in order to get very, very little, which I guess explains why copper is just so expensive. In many ways, that's the easy part. <laughs> there are no shortage of buyers for all of that copper, but getting it into their hands is a harrowing journey. When we come back, Matt is going to describe the very long trip by truck to get that copper to port. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. 
athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Matt, so you went down into the mine and you watched how it is brought up from deep in the ground and refined into copper. And next is trying to get into the hands of the people who want to use it. Um, can you describe exactly what it takes to do that? Well, it must be one of the most difficult jobs in the world, if not one of the longest jobs in the world, to complete what should be a relatively simple task. From the Democratic Republic of Congo, the mines just north of the Zambian border there, which are actually much bigger than the Zambian mines in terms of production, you are looking at about 3,000 kilometers down to the port of Durban, just off South Africa's east coast, which has always been the most important port for copper exports out of the Central African copper belt for both Zambia as well as the Democratic Republic of Congo. That 3,000 kilometer journey, this year it's taken more than 30 days. And that trip is incredibly long and harrowing. Can you describe it? Because you went along this route and you saw what it's like to transport copper. One of the most interesting things I've ever seen in my life is the Kasumba-Lesa border between Zambia and the Congo. That, in essence, is where the biggest problem is. Um, you've got, on the Zambian side, a queue of trucks waiting to cross into the Democratic Republic of Congo, about 53 kilometers long. So that's where the title of your story comes. That's about 32 miles. So this 32 mile long queue of trucks all just waiting to get underway. Yeah, and these drivers are there for days. I mean, as, as long as a week it takes to cross that border. Why does it take so long to cross the border? The growth in production out of the copper mines in the Democratic Republic of Congo has been so large that the customs officials haven't been able to keep up. So it takes that long just to get your papers and make it all official so that you can then just hit the road. Exactly. The border process is extremely slow. And these drivers spend as long as a week waiting in these queues. So what are they doing? I mean, they're sitting in trucks. Where, where do they sleep? How do they eat? What is the scene like there? Everything's just centered around the cabin of their truck. That's their home. And bear in mind that there's, I mean, this is rural, rural Africa. In many stretches of, of the queue, there's not even villages. So these, these drivers are just sitting, chatting to the other drivers. There's no toilets. There's no showers. There's no real formal shops or restaurants. 
this is <laughs> rural Africa that these guys are sitting in. And I mean, the temperatures there in the summertime get extremely hot. And in your story, you talk about how a whole informal economy has grown up around serving these drivers' needs. At the Kasumba-Lesa border itself, it's extremely interesting because you've, you've got this hive of activity that sprung up around um, just this cross-border commerce between the Zambia and Congo, a lot of it being, or well, almost all of it being because of the mining industry. So you've got guys walking around in modified, heavily modified bicycles. They don't even have seats. They're just built to transport goods. Water, cookies, or even charcoal that the truck drivers and other people use to cook their food. There's just this whole hive of informal economy that's trying to make money off the truck drivers who have not much choice of how to fill their bellies or where to get drinking water and that sort of thing. You talked to a lot of the drivers while they were just sitting there waiting to get underway. What did they have to say about their lives? Well, they are very appreciative of how and descriptive of how tough their jobs are. Most of them are very eager to speak to me because they have an incredibly difficult job and, and they want to tell people about that. One of the things that the drivers were most eager to speak about is just how dangerous it is for them to cross into the Democratic Republic of Congo. They complain bitterly about police corruption there, basically police demanding that they pay bribes. It's number one corruption, because the police there, if even if you haven't done nothing, they can even come to your truck. My brother, uh, I can see your light is not okay. He hasn't even checked the truck. So you must have something on the, on the road. No money, ah, you can die. There's also a problem of crime when the drivers are sitting there with their trucks as sort of like sitting ducks for thieves. Yeah, exactly. Um, and a few of the drivers that I spoke to raised that issue. One of them said that he basically has to sleep with one eye open because especially this year with the rocketing price of diesel, um, that's also made the diesel in their trucks a very lucrative target for thieves. You just sleep like uh, half sleeping. Because sometimes when you hear someone who move around that outside, you wake up. And then if they're able to make it through and it reaches port, uh, then what happens? Earlier this year, the port of Durban in South Africa, which is the port that the mining companies rely on more than any other in the region to export their copper. That, the port of Durban was hit by floods not seen in decades. The floods not only killed more than 400 people, but they caused severe damage to the port. The damage that these floods caused ha has only made matters worse. When I visited the port earlier this year, it was still recovering from the floods. They washed away roads and damaged warehouses. It's very difficult to explain how bad the damage was. So 
if these drivers are waiting as long as two weeks just to get out of Congo and into Zambia, and then they have to go on this very dangerous and long trek down to port, how long does it, on average, take to get a load of copper from the mine to the port? From the companies that I spoke to this year, they considered about a month, a fairly average time. Matt, as the world's demand increases for this copper, it seems like this is not a process that can go on forever. They're going to have to do something about this to make it more efficient. Is anything actually being done to ease the supply line from the mine to the port so that it is not this just like a Mad Max-like story that you've described here? This is the, the billion-dollar question. So far, what companies have been doing to try solve the problem of congestion is to throw more trucks at it, which of course <laughs> only makes more congestion. Ultimately, the most sustainable solution is to improve rail connectivity. That's what a lot of the mining companies have been saying. They need to be able to move more of the logistics onto rail. Uh, but building rail is expensive and it takes a long time. Is, are there actually plans to do that now? I mean, the Congolese government a few months ago unveiled an investment plan of about $58 billion to upgrade their country's infrastructure. A lot of that is required for both road and rail. The Zambian government already has a railway line connecting the copper belt to the port of Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, but that's fallen into complete disrepair. So that's gonna take a lot of investment to get it up and running again. There is also a railway connectivity from the Zambian Copper Belt to the port of Durban. But once again, that's gonna need a lot of investment. It's not that there will be one solution, but probably a number of different solutions which will require investment from both the governments involved as well as private companies to make sure that there is a sustainable way to get the copper out of this resource that the world desperately needs over the next couple of decades to the places that need it. Matt Hill, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed talking about this. You can read more about Matthew Hill's journey to the Zambian copper mine and see photos of his trip at Bloomberg.com. That's also where you'll find the latest reporting from Yvonne Lee and James Atwood. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Read today's story and subscribe to our daily newsletter at Bloomberg.com slash Big Take. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with questions or comments to Big Take at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Bergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Our producers are Mo Barrow and Michael Falero. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. Have a great weekend.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.